0: This is the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Ciroclad, featuring one-on-one interviews with designers, contractors, city managers, and civic leaders, as well as thought leaders committed to sustainability, innovation, and solutions that are attractive, affordable, and create healthy living environments. Our podcast eliminates the challenges, breakthroughs, and proven solutions brought to industries, organizations, and our communities. The Architecture and Innovation Podcast is underwritten by Ciroclad. The Ciroclad Rainscreen Fiber Cement Siding System, a proven track record of performance in Japan for nearly 40 years. Zero chemicals, triple coated, and factory finished color layering. The ceramic and photocatalytic coat provides 365 days self-cleaning and a 20-year fade limited warranty. This high-performance siding system serves as an honored innovation with parent company Panasonic and Kubota. For more information, please visit siraclad.com. For our guest today, we're uh, we're honored and excited to welcome Paul Tang, principal and partner of the Los Angeles and Shanghai-based architecture firm Verse Design, formerly Paul Tang Architecture. Paul was selected as one of the Millennial New Blood 101 designers of Los Angeles in 2001 and 2002. He's also recipient of the National AIA Foundation Award a professor at the University of Southern California, where he has taught the School of Architecture for over 19 years, and graduated cum laude from the University of Southern California School of Architecture and received his Master of Architecture with a letter of distinction from Harvard University. For more information, you can visit his website at vdla dot co. That's vdla dot co. Paul, welcome. Thank you for being here. We're we're honored truly.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Um, it's, it's a pleasure to be here with you,
0: Paul. As we talked about prior to this show, um, you know, we, we have a quote, um, but I, li- I like what you did, which is very unique. Um, share with us what your, you know, your quote, your idea of, uh, um, you know, what really matters to you, especially when you launch a project.
1: Yeah, so I, I'm going to kind of read this little statement. Um, By no means is this original to me, this is something that came about as I was developing the idea with colleagues and friends um, um, over the last several years. So I'm gonna read this little excerpt uh, and it goes, architectural design proposals are at best understood as development models, projected as possible contextual scenarios based on fixed parameters. In this regard, the most powerful notion of model lies in its capacity for remodeling an architectural model that is responsive to the existing context while serving as the catalyst for change or remodeling of the said context so in other words this this little sentence really is really begin to bring about the awareness that what we do as architects is actually not just architecture as a building right? it's mm-hmm. much broader than that so in that sense, the way that we actually approach our projects is always contextual. That's the other word that we like to use um, in that um, we see that uh, the way architecture, particularly as it is being inserted into a urban environment, is like throwing a pebble into a pond, <laughs> right? It will always ripple. Uh, ripple. The question is, is what happens after that ripple ceases to, to, to calm down? Will it really calm or is it going to change the ecology of that pond? And so there is always a cost and effect. And so in doing so, when we approach a project, uh, we always then start out with a very comprehensive contextual study. And I don't necessarily just just in meaning that it's uh, the physical context, right, which is what most architects, uh, particularly architectural students, um, think about, it is very much about our physical immediate context, um, and perhaps even broader context. Um, but it is also m- more about the intangible context, right, social context, mm-hmm. economic context, uh, political context. Um, and, what we realized, particularly if you're doing projects for the private sector, I think the ability of our architect to really address the economic context is where you actually begin to have an edge over your competitors. Mm -hmm. Right. So interestingly enough, um, you had mentioned that I had taught at USC for 19 years. So what happened was, in 2009, Um, while I was at uh, USC School of Architecture, a decision was made that we were going to establish the American Academy in China. Hmm. And I was appointed as its first uh, academic coordinator. And so Ding Ma at the time then made a decision that perhaps I should be sent out there um, so that I could operate underground in China. So in 2009, that decision was made. I was given about a year's time to plan out how exactly that would happen, right? So in 2008 was our Great Recession. So that opportunity was actually fantastic, right? I had a practice called Tain Architecture, um, but uh, back then my wife called my practice as my hobby.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: My primary vocation was really a faculty member at the UC School of Architecture a Professor there. And so the decision, I had a very small practice, about five people. I just decided to gamble, um, since the economy was really slow, which is just a year after the great recession, the plan to move in 2010, we started to solicit and look at potential competitions in China Hmm. at the same same time, made a decision that we're all going to move. So i moved about five families, um, and the only. The only budget that I had, would only, we were only survive about a month. I wouldn't have a problem because I have an appointment, right, from USC. Okay. But my team of five, basically, I just had enough money to keep them afloat for about a month. And I told them that they have the option to either stay here, try to look for a job, which was nonexistent at the time, or throw the dice with me, which is oh go. Uh, an amazing thing was all five of them. Uh, with the exception of, actually, there were six people, with the exception of my current partner now, Courtney Bauer, um, they all uh, went. We 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 were very fortunate. Uh, we did win a competition. And we received the notification that we won in early 2010. I think it was early 2010. But even then, at that moment in time, we weren't sure what that really means, whether that's actually going to, result in some sort of real tangible work, right, that we can work on. Um, but it was for one of the first seven uh, high-speed rail stations <laughs> in China. And uh, we're very fortunate. Um, it was real work. In fact, by the time I got to, by the time I went to China to receive the award and negotiate the contract, that's when I realized that this is this is something that, that we can bite our teeth through. <laughs> right, so that five people, uh, we started to start sending them out in late uh, 2009. Uh, by 2011, as I'm working to promote the USC American Academy in China, which was quite successful at the time, I think by that moment in time, we have already worked with 33 international uh, academic institutions across the world for programs in China. So that's going on well. But my practice. Completely, just exploded. <laughs> by nineteen, I don't know. By twenty eleven, the original five turned into us seventy five people. Oh, wow. And so I took on a domestic uh, partner, a partner in China who was also a faculty member from Tongji University. We decided to put our eggs in the same basket. We brand ourselves as Verse Design. So Verse Design was actually originally founded in Shanghai. And those were like the best years, I remember. We were so busy. Um, come 2012, the university called and says, hey, you're a full-time faculty member. You can't stay out there for more <laughs> than two years. You need to come home. <laughs> I then called Dean Ma. Ma at that time still had his practice called Ma Spam in Shanghai, and that was based in Shanghai. And we actually had a project working together. But since he's the dean, he's here. <laughs> And I told him, I said, you really think that I can come home? And he thought about it, and he says, no, you can't. So I said, well, what do we do? Well, he says, well, why don't you fly back and forth? I said, Dima, that's a 14-hour flight one way. He says, oh, we'll figure something out. Come back four or five times. Um, we'll get you a teaching assistant. And I thought I said, "Dane, you know what? That's not the way to teach our students, right?" Mm-hmm. Uh, I really think that um, I can compromise on a project, but academically, I'm certainly in, am not going to compromise my students because they bite on every word that we say. And sometimes yeah. you make one small mistake in what you say, they keep they remember it forever. <laughs> so, so to me, I think that's a that that is a that's just not an option. So amazingly, in, at the end of the day, I resigned. I resigned from USC in 2012 because I couldn't come home. But that was an interesting decision. Um, you know, 19 at USC is a long time to resign from that position. Um, and it's not like I'm in trouble or not. Sure. There is there any kind of infighting or politics. None of that. I was actually quite successful with what I'm doing in, in both uh, platforms. Uh, but I was forced to make a decision. Um, When I left in 2010, I made a 10-year plan. Mm -hmm. And that 10-year plan wasn't really based on any professional work, because I didn't know what kind of work I would get out there, nor was it based on any kind of academic um, growth at USC. It was based on my kids. Mm -hmm. I just thought in 10 years, they'd be ready to go into high school. Mm -hmm. I'll come back. (laughs) So that kind of, so by 2011, we're, we're super successful, right? 2012, I resigned from uh, USC. My God, by 2014, um, we grew to even a bigger um, um, company to the point where my partner and I started to lose control. And we said, listen, we even need to tighten the back down because... I think the the attraction to who we are as architects really is how each of the principals and the partners really engage at a very personal level, right? It's not a very corporate structure. So we actually then reduced down the size of our firm, became a little more selective Mm. in terms of work that we look at. Um, And the crazy thing was, we were making the same amount of money (laughs) Um, because my overhead has become a lot smaller. And it was more sanity. I had more time to spend <laughs> with my family. Um and then in 2014, two of my former clients from LA, or I should say LA from the US, uh visited me in Shanghai because they kind of overheard what we're doing, right? So came out, visited, saw what we were doing, and then decided that uh, you know, I should come home. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them offered us a opportunity to compete for a major project in Silicon Valley, in Santa Clara. It's a speculative uh, Class A office building. Um, but my competitors was, I believe, was, uh, I believe it was HOK, RTKL, mm-hmm. right? uh, the, the, the big boys. Mm-hmm. The fee for the competition was only 40000 but the require for submission was I had to do a fly-through, almost like a whole, like a full media presentation. Wow. I looked at that budget. Using my resources in China, which is substantially less, I will break my bank. <laughs> and I don't have the same type of resources as the, the larger corporates. I right? can mm-hmm. throw into a project of this magnitude. Uh, the project is not small, uh, total, including parking altogether, the finished product is over 500,000 square feet. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's not a small project. And But we we were not vested in, in the U.S. at the time. I was still developing my practice in, Ch- in China and we're doing gangbusters. There was no incentive for me to come home besides I resigned from USC.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and so, but so you know, but I committed, right? And I didn't want to, I don't want to embarrass or reject a former client. So I made a really ballsy uh, decision. Part of it was because I, when we checked into the local zoning, we learned that there was no, um, that the zoning was in flux. So every single project of that scale magnitude needs to be a negotiated uh, a development. Uh, if you don't have zoning, in other words, you don't have governance over uh, the 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 development, then the design competition becomes a beauty contest, mm. right? Because once you select, you're going to have to start all over, renegotiate with the city. So I wasn't going to do that, right? And and spend in excess of, my, I remember I, my budget, I estimated that we need, I'm going to need about 60000 but my fee was only forty. So I was not going to about to pay $20,000 to engage in a in a uh, what I call the beauty contest. So part of what I learned when I was in China is um the Chinese audience, their trust and respect for the profession is substantially higher than here. In other words, the way that the at least back in the early t- t- 10 2010s, right, is developers will secure their property once they secure the property they will actually take the property to an architect without any program <sighs> without any idea of what to do with it because the minute that they can secure the land at least the the economics at that time they already want you could do anything and it work but then they come to us and say well What do you think we should do? Me being a foreigner, I have no idea of the local culture and local conventions. So there was a steep learning curve, right? The only attraction is I'm, I'm Paul Tang. I have my pedigrees (laughs) and they want to brand it through me. Right. So, but that gave me the opportunity to really look at the development and the impact to a city in its full spectrum. Right. So, and because the speed is fast. I mean, within two years, I could take a project, say, about same size, half a million square feet Mm -hmm. from design to completion. In fact, that entire high-speed rail station, uh, about 220,000 square feet, when we got the commission through the competition, uh, we realized that the site information they gave us was all wrong, so we had to start all over. But starting all over from the day we committed a pencil to paper to the day it was operational 29 months
0: oh my goodness
1: and that's the speed that they're operating so it afforded this tremendous opportunity for us as architects not only to think about ideas design them but within two years actually be able to sit there observe how the public really interact with the building or the space you just designed that is amazing (sighs) Right, you you sit there and you're looking at the ways in which they use a space or a certain area that you design, and you're saying, "Wait a second, they're not doing anything that I conceived, but there's something else that's happening that is absolutely fascinating." Right, so I may have a sense of place in the way when I designed it, but there's a whole different reality when you start seeing it being occupied and used in a very different way. Mm -hmm. Right, so because of that process. I learned to really understand how an entire development works, which really begins to understand what is truly the economic context that governs the project, right? And as I mentioned, when we do our contextual analysis, it's quite comprehensive, right? So although the, the economic context, the financial and market drivers in China is substantially different than the United States, but uh, since I am from here, it wasn't that difficult to make that translation. And because this invitational competition for a project in Silicon Valley, it had no zoning. Um, we just decided, um, and I decided not to participate, but since I been invited, um, we decided to risk it and provide the owner with seven different performers <laughs> based on my projected scenarios of what the possibilities are. By looking at the existing zoning projecting into its growth pattern to kind of to, to, to kind of figure out what we think is going to be attractive to the city right um, and I have to say Santa Clara is not your most walkable city it's a really strange kind of suburbia um, commercial tech area right uh, but in any case, uh, we did uh, arrive about seven different possible scenarios, ran all seven performas. And then with the performers on, uh, you know, my 17 or 83 sheets of paper, went down to, uh, flew all the way from Shanghai to San Francisco to, to present. My flight got delayed. We ended up to be the last presenter. Get to the presentation. The owner was very excited, asked me if I needed the, the overhead projector. I said, no. Asking me if there's anything that I need, I said nothing, uh, and she started to get kind of curious, but a little—not just curious, but furious. She oh. was a little. She was a little pissed because they all. I said I have everything in my bag. I'm going to hand them out to you. So I handed every um uh, project. Um, um all the people in that room. There's about ten people in there, right? That belonged to her company. Seven sheets of 11 by 17 or eight three sheets cipher of paper of just numbers. I hand it out, put it on everybody's front and they were looking at it. She's completely puzzled looking at me. And she says, Paul, I hired you for design. What is all this? And I kind of gave her the 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 overview of what I just presented to you, right? There's no zoning. I'm not interested in doing a uh, uh, participating in a beauty contest, yada, yada, yada. So I decided to run a performa instead based on seven different possible scenarios of the zoning that I suspect the city will accept. And she looked at me and she says, "Me, me as a developer, you as an architect, you don't think my team has already done that. You don't think the project that I have already done my homework, to think it is viable before I go out there and spend all this money to do this competition. And besides I'm going to pay you $40,000. For what? Seven sheets of paper with numbers on it. And I looked at her and I thought, oh shit. Um, I think I made a mistake, right? I think I I think I absolutely forgot the fact that they're they're developed they developers. Mm-hmm. Unlike developers in China, they actually knew what they were doing. So so I looked at her and I said, I'll tell you what, if you're willing, because what I'm about to tell you is actually not very good news. And I I, I fully admit that my my numbers may be wrong, but I, you know, since I'm here and I flew from Shanghai, if you're willing, pay me my air trip. I won't take a dime. I refund you all the remaining thirty-five thousand dollars. I take five for my my my, my round trip. And she said, "Okay." And so I then went through the seven different performers, mm-hmm. and my news to her was, as it turns out. Not a single one of those performers tells me that the project's viable. It didn't pencil. And she looked at me and she said, there must be a mistake because our performance showed this project to be extremely viable. Right. So she started asking a lot of questions. And by the time she gets to the point where she says, what is the number you use for the rent? I said, Hey, listen, I was, I mean, in China, I don't have full access here, So I plugged in the number I was able to find based on L.A.'s office uh, market. And she says, so what is that? I said, you used it that that $2.50 per square foot per month. And she says, oh, my God, it is already over $3 in the Bay Area. You're off by more than 20%, right? And the target was 200,000 square feet. So, you know, just do the math. That's not a small number. You're 20% off in terms of your your potential revenue. She then asked me and says, hey, can you change that number? And is it easily propagated in your spreadsheet? I said, I believe so. So she said, well, change it. Because I have my Excel Excel spreadsheet on my computer, on my laptop. I changed that $250 to just $3. Next thing I know, all seven performance automatically all changed to green. Mm -hmm. They're completely viable. Oh. So I started to pack up because I know now I completely screwed up. I shouldn't be doing things beyond what I should have been doing as an architect. Besides, they hire me because I'm a designer, not that I'm a a good with numbers. And she says, what are you doing? I said, well, I don't even feel good about asking for my airfare. (laughs) So so what I'm going to do right now is is I'm going to leave. I'm going to go visit my parents in L.A., and thank you for the opportunity. She says, no, wait a second here. I need you to go outside and we'll give you a cup of coffee. I need to talk to my team. She <laughs> okay. I walked out. The uh, secretary gave me a cup of coffee. I haven't even finished half that cup. <laughs> I got called back in. And then she looked at me and she says, you mean to tell me that you flew in from San Francisco to tell me not to do the project? I said, yes. <laughs> She says, "So you were coming in, not expecting to do to have any project." I say, "No." She says, "You're really comfortable in Shanghai." I say, "Well, I am, but it does represent a good opportunity for me to bring my kids home. If we come home now, my kids would then be re-entering the U.S. Uh, educational system in junior high school and middle school, which is another good sort of uh, moment, right, in their mm-hmm. education. So I say the timing's not bad." but my original plan was 10 years. She says, so you were expecting to leave today, empty handed. I said, absolutely. And she says, well, how does that work? I said, well, wait a second here. I didn't call you, Hmm. you visited me and you called me. So I know that if there's a good project, a viable good project that you will always call me. So I have no problem telling you that I don't believe that this project is viable, although I'm completely wrong. Mm-hmm. I learned a lesson. I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. And then she says, well, we, I just had a discussion with my entire team and we're unanimous in our decision. And I said, what's that? She says, yeah, you're right. Um, we did learn from you that, there, that whatever the designs that we saw, it wouldn't matter because by the time we take go to the planning department, we're going to have to renegotiate all the conditions mm-hmm. and something else will come out of it. I said, that's correct. And she says, you're the only one so far that has really looked at the interest of the project rather than your own pocket. Hmm. So she says, I've thought about it. I think we're going to award you the project. Do you still have an office in the U.S.? I said, no. <laughs> she says, well, how long is it going to take you to get it open? I said, about six months. And I, she looked at me. She said, oh, we can wait six months. But in six months, I'd expect to be operational. And that's what brought me home. Oh. And that project, right, finally finished through the pandemic, everything. Um, It's 500, about 530,000 square feet. The original target, about 200,000 leasable ends up to be about 246,000 square feet. So in terms of that project, meaning the economic context, it it went beyond the expectation, mm-hmm. right? So obviously there are other ways in which we situated the building. Um, in fact, there is a whole other sort of side of the, the project where we explore, you know, the 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 ideas about expression and performance when it comes to architecture. We can talk about that. But that project finally completed last year. As of this week, the project has won. 14 international
0: awards. Oh, congratulations. My goodness. Yeah. So what a fabulous story. Absolutely fabulous.
1: It's just unheard of, right? I decided to go and be very blunt, open, transparent about what I wanted to tell them, not my area of expertise, but nevertheless, a very honest opinion, made some mistakes in there. Uh, and it ended up um, allowing me to open a verse design in the U S.
0: What a, fab- a fabulous story. We're talking today with Paul Tang, principal and partner of Verse Design, Los Angeles. For more information, you can visit them on their website at vdla.co. Paul, with the, that project, that's just really one of the most fabulous stories I've, I've, I've ever heard. Um, what's, what's the uh, we talked earlier about the sustainability concept is crucial for that design right. project. How did that fit with that project?
1: So, part of the part of the the, the approach that we took, right? So, like I said, um, our our philosophy about really looking at context. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about the, it, it, I just talked about the economic context that won me the competition, um, but then now I'm going to get into about how we as architects um, approach the project. So there are certain metrics that's governed by the local market, right? So for example, uh, we were working with Cushman Wakefield um, at the, the introduction through the developer. To really look at what this project should should be from a market perspective. So there were a couple of things that was identified when we got started. Number one is that the project needs to be minimally 200,000 square feet. So whereas the original brief was calling for a 200,000 square feet leasable, that has now become a minimum because at that moment in time in 2015, the biggest market attractive market for any kind of office development was for a structure that's beyond 200,000 square feet with the intent to go after a single tenant uh, uh, lessee, right? Second thing was in case you don't land that single tenant, um, the way the building should be designed is that you need to find a way to hit a target that's about thirty-five to 40,000 square feet. And those are typically for startups. So preferably you put that on single floors. And that's a big floor plate. right? So that means that you can then have per floor tenants. It's easier to manage. And part of that is, is you actually then begin to reduce the public areas that are not typically not leasable,
0: hmm.
1: right? Because I, I, I reduce the amount of corridors if it's a single floor tenant. You just lease the entire floor, and all I care about is the lobby, the elevator lobby. So the way that those metrics begin to come together, it kind of gives you an idea what the bulk and size that building is going to be, and how it's going to fit on site. So it turns out the structure we design is about thirty-five to forty thousand floor plates, stacked six level, right? And that was what give us about twenty to forty thousand square feet. Mm. Okay, so that kind of gave me the target, but it's not. It's not designed by any means. The second criteria that came through from Cushman and Wakefield at the time was being a class A office building, it is expected to have a high ceiling. Second expectation is you need to have sitting to floor full glass, like full glass. When you put a box full glass, right? Um, In our case, the... The ratio of opening on the facades exceeded 70%. Mm. So if I translate the the title 24, which is the energy uh, saving criteria, uh, the most basics is that you only allow 40% of transparency. But we need to achieve 70%. So one of the ways to do that is you use very dark glass or use highly reflective glass. But then again, the market's telling us it needs to be transparent. As transparent, I can get them. Hmm. So, and the biggest problem we realize it is the southwest and southwest facing facades where you have the largest solar exposure and therefore the highest heat gain. And that will drive your mechanical cost up, right? And so you got to find ways to mitigate so, we were working with Blue Mac. In the initial, once we understand the, the massing, we understand the number of objectives. As we began to work on the design of building, we realized that we can't hit that target. The best that we can do uh, using traditional means was at best maybe 55% transparency. And I really need to boost that up to 70%. And so, one in one instance, we said, well, okay, what happens if I start using brise or some kind of sun shading device along the south, southwest, uh, and west facing facades, right? Because those are the areas where I get the highest amount of heat gain. That then evolved to become the expression of the building. So what then happens is that then we decided that we're going to integrate the two key components using parametrics to find the most efficiency in terms of the shading of the eyes to kind of get the result. And that combination is in reality exactly what got us the 14 awards. <sighs> so it's a, it's a whole series of louvers, um, that will change in terms of their angle at, at every two feet. Okay. It's an entire facade of, um, louvers in those uh, positions, right? The south, the west, and the southwest. And the pattern is completely random. Um, part of the other idea, which is much more architectural, was um, we know that the position of sun will change over the course of a day. So as these louvers that are vertically oriented, as they the position changes, as you walk around that and as the light hits it, the reading of that facade will change, hmm. kind of like the old uh, triangulated uh, uh, billboards. If you come oh, from yes. one direction, right? Same concept.
0: Okay.
1: Right. So the idea is, it's is it's a it's it's a fixed set of risolais, but the reading, depending on your position and the position of the, the sun, is dynamic. And as you move, it changes. Very very. Um, uh, uh, it, you will notice the change, but it's it's not like not in your face, right? Very subtle. Okay. But in any case, it's it's very dynamic, right? And and at the same time, it needs to help me mitigate the heat gain to allow me to meet <sighs> Title Twenty Four and hit seventy percent. Like when we actually first finally achieved this this pattern that we all liked <sighs> and met the the uh, Title Twenty Four criteria, it was too costly to build. Everything was, every single panel was a custom panel for the entire facade. We looked at each other. The client looked at me and says, that's great. I hope you're not charging me for that because um, I can't afford to build that. Uh, we then had to go back uh, and then work again with our with my team uh, and through series of different softwares, narrow that down to 25 panels or 24 panels. And through the mixing and matching to allow you to reading of that entire randomness, mm-hmm. and then at the same time still mitigate the, the heat gain to re, to reduce uh, the requirement for energy to cool the building. Now, so that dual the duality of the performative and the expressive is what then really it it's pretty amazing. Um, it's on our website um, uh, and. Uh, In fact, there's been several podcasts we've done um, that people wanted to to talk about how that came together. So the project is 3075, 30 being the word 30, T-H-I-R-T-Y, 75 being the Roman numerals, tech, T-E-C-H, look that up, 3075 tech. After pandemic-
0: Definitely. Uh, P- Paul, it's been a real honor and pleasure having you here today. Thank you very much. We hope you come thank on you, soon Tom. because there's definitely more to, uh, to talk about in, uh, in architecture. It's been a real honor. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you, Tom. I hope you enjoyed it as well. I certainly did. Oh, I was on, 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 I w- I'm sitting, but I would be. I was fascinated every single second. So thank you. Really, really enjoyed. Our guest today has been Paul Tang. A partner of the Los Angeles and Shanghai-based architecture firm Verse Design, formerly known as Paul Tang Architecture, Paul was selected as one of the Millennium New Blood 101 Designers of Los Angeles in 2001 and 2002. If you all want to go back and touch this, he also taught at University of Southern California School of Architecture for over 19 years and graduated cum laude from the University of Southern California School of Architecture and received his Master of Architecture with a letter of distinction from Harvard University. For more information, feel free to visit vdla.co. That's vdla.co. The Architecture and Innovation Podcast is recorded from the offices of Circlad and Redmond, Washington, and on location. The executive producer and host is yours truly, Tom Dior. Our chief audio engineer is Eris Chikopoulos. We look forward to you joining us again next time. Thank you for listening. Syraclad is a high-performance fiber cement siding system in one size with triple coat technology and 365 days of self-cleaning, along with a 20-year fade limited warranty. Syraclad also offers hundreds of design options. For more information, feel free to visit Syraclad.com.